0: Welcome to Casual Sets, a weekly podcast on the game of tennis from the experts themselves. I'm your host, James Presley. After a little hiatus, we are back continuing our season of speaking to players on a rise, but before we get into that, I had the chance to speak with former world number one tennis hall of famer Andy Roddick. Andy was in Atlanta promoting his exhibition with fellow American Robbie Ginepri coming up in July. He was kind enough to chat with me about his time on tour and family life now. All right. So first off, Andy, before we talk to Nissa, uh, how are Brooke, Hank, and uh, Stevie doing? They're good.
1: They're good. Thank you for asking. Oh no,
0: not no problem. So I thought it was uh, Brooklyn's birthday on the twelfth. Um, so how do you two tend to celebrate birthdays now after ten years of marriage?
1: Well, it's different. She was in LA working, so I actually didn't see her <laughs> on, on her birthday. But we had a we had a nice dinner a couple of days before and. Um, you know, our big night out, I think we stayed out till about 9.45, oh, wow is <laughs> so, times have changed a little bit since, uh, since we've had kids.
0: Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, so uh, now it's why you're here. Uh, so you're in town to help promote the 2019 BB&T Atlanta Open, uh, where you'll be playing against, the next match against so Atlanta's own Robbie Gennepre on the 22nd of yeah. July. Uh, you guys went uh, head-to-head a few times on tour. I believe it's a 9-1 record, I believe.
1: I guess so, I, yeah, I said I, I, it kind of gets mixed between juniors and challengers and pros, and I don't know what actually gets counted towards a record and what doesn't, but uh, I do remember the first time we played was in Nashville in 1994, and it was a 12 under zonal tournament. It was the first time I saw Robbie, so we've uh, we've been going at it for a long time now.
0: Nice. So uh, another significant thing about Atlanta is that this is where you win your first ATP singles title and uh, your last career title, uh, so what does Atlanta mean to you?
1: It's the bookends my parents It's where it started and where it finished. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. I, I was I've been kind of saying today that on top of kind of my personal history with uh, my pro tennis here, my brother went to University of Georgia, so mm. I was always kind of in the area, and um, Atlanta's always felt like a place that I'm I'm, I'm drawn back to for, for for one reason or another, and I, I certainly always enjoyed my time here. Um, the the participation in tennis with the city of Atlanta is well documented and celebrated. Mm. Um, and so it seems like a natural fit to uh, to have the tournament, to have BB&T uh, Atlanta Open thriving here. It's it, it's nice for me to see. That's great. That's great.
0: Uh, so as we mentioned, 2012 was your last singles appearance here, uh, and it also leads to your final tournament, uh, the U.S. Open. So did you know in Atlanta that you are going to retire in New York later that summer? No, I
1: didn't. Um, it was weird. I, I kind of struggled for the first six months of that year with some injuries, and I think I lost six or seven matches in a row at one point. So it it didn't look real good. And then uh, I actually won two out of my last four events going into the open. So I felt like maybe I'd kind of found a little something. And then uh, I just woke up one morning and um, I called my wife and I said, you might want to come back to the hotel. I think I'm going to do something crazy. Uh, I think I'll I'll probably stop playing. But um, I did not know. that I was going to retire at the U.S. Open the last time I played uh, the tournament here in Atlanta. Oh,
0: wow. Um, now, 2019 actually makes it 10 years since your epic Wimbledon match against yeah. Roger Federer in the fi- uh, Wimbledon final, yeah. uh, where he became the all-time uh, Grand Slam titles leader. Um, just for me personally, at that time, I was uh, just finished my freshman year in college, mm-hmm. um, and I was on a tennis team there, and I just remember watching that match. We're texting each other, like, Andy's going to do it. Like, <laughs> you can feel like Andy's going to do it. Um, so do you feel like... You know, outside of winning the two thousand and three U.S. Open, is that one of the most significant matches you've ever played?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the one that it's the one that people want to talk. I call it my my Starbucks match because that was the that's the one where when waiting a line at Starbucks or someone sees you coming, that's the one they want to talk about, and that's the one. Uh, you know, obviously, it was hugely memorable for me. The the consequent sorry, the what was at stake for for Roger was obviously huge with with going after uh, Pete's record. So mm. I, I certainly wasn't the story going into the the match but somehow was able to at least extend it enough to, to generate a little bit of interest mm-hmm. and um, <coughs> it was it was it, looking back it was it was amazing because I think that's when I went from maybe a, a, a polarizing figure in tennis mm-hmm. you know I was certainly uh, petulant at times and you know acted a certain way at times but I feel like that match for better or for worse and it, it, I have a lot of mixed emotions about it but um, from that point on, I, I felt like I had never, I, I never got more, more support than, than after that match. So there, there were certainly a lot of positives that came out of it for me.
0: Definitely. Um, now going back to winning the US Open in 2003, you're still the last American male to win a Grand Slam singles title. Uh, during that time, it was players like you, Marty Fish and James Blake that became the faces of American tennis. Uh, during that time, was there a lot of pressure uh, amongst you guys like to follow the likes of Andy Rogers, uh Andy, uh, Andre Agassi and uh, Pete Sampras?
1: Um, yeah, I think I probably felt it maybe more than james and marty did and you know you'd have to ask them but i I think i've 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 heard them say that before yeah i mean listen american tennis fans are spoiled in the best possible way for a very 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 long time to where it became an expectation and not something that was uh you know maybe just innocently celebrated um you know so i certainly felt the responsibility i I think it made me better um Um, you know to, to wake up in the morning and to know that there's this huge legacy that you kind of have to at least try to live up to you're never going to with uh with, with the, the players that you'd mentioned and even take that back to stan smith and arthur ash and you know it, it didn't just start with agassi and sampras and you know connor's and McEnroe. so uh the, the lineage was certainly there and it's something that i that i took very seriously
0: well and yeah uh, i know you have a busy schedule i'd like to thank you very much for chatting yeah, with it. me
1: and uh we'll see you in july all right thanks James. thank, thank you. you thank you
0: Next up, I had the chance to talk with my good friend, currently ranked two hundred eighty-six in the world on the WTA tour, Miss Abigail Terry Apisa. I spoke with Abigail before her first round match at an ITF tournament in Indonesia. We chatted about her journey from juniors to successful college career and her transition to the professional circuit. Abby, thanks for joining me today on Casual Sets. Uh, hope all is well. Um. So. Yep. everything's for well. Thank you. Great. Great. Um. So. Um. We'll just hop right into it. So your journey into the pro tennis circuit has been a very different one versus, you know, the typical um, player that just goes straight from juniors and, you know, for ITF straight into the ATP or WTA tour. Um, so before we talk about what you're doing now, how did you get into tennis?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, good question. Actually, my both my parents, uh, tennis coaches back home in Papua New Guinea, so I really didn't kind of have a choice um in that sense so i was sort of at the tennis courts after school because my parents were still working late then so you know the school bus would drop us off at the tennis courts and we would just be hanging around there until they'd be done work so um yeah i started because of my parents yes
0: um so is it true that you left home at 11 to uh pretty much pursue your tennis dreams that
2: that is true, but actually I left when I was
0: 10.
2: Oh. I turned 11 that year that I left. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Um, so, how'd that go? Yeah. How'd that go about?
2: Um, honestly, I was really quite young, and I didn't really understand why I was going there. Um, and um, I really didn't want to. didn't want to leave my friends and my family in my, my school. Um, and so the first couple of months were. Actually no Just for the first month I was really really homesick After a while Because there was, so, there was also other kids From the other Pacific Island nations there Who are also on the same age And you know We didn't have our parents there Our family there So um, it turned out to be Something really great And I it was quite special for me
0: right, And this was in Sydney correct? Sydney, Australia?
2: Um, no I This I initially moved to Fiji first when okay. I was 10. Um, there's, a, there's an ITF tennis academy uh, for Pacific Island tennis players there. So that's where I had my first scholarship there.
0: Great. Um, so um, I know in juniors you play several ITF events like uh, Morocco, Thailand, even Australia Open juniors. But how did you end up 9,000-plus miles away from – Papua New Guinea, in Atlanta, and at Georgia State. So, how did you end up coming to the states? <laughs>
2: um, so, basically, my whole junior career has has been, um, you know, other people's uh, making decisions for me. Like I said, when I was ten years old, I didn't really quite understand why I was going there. Um, uh, I mean, my mom, my parents just told me, "Oh, you've got a scholarship to go there," so you're going there. And then once I went there, you know, everyone's um, planning tournaments for me, going here and there. So I just kind of sort of went about whatever people were telling me to do. And I think my first uh, tournament in America was qualifying for Junior Orange Bowl in Eddie Hair. So I think I was 16 when I first flew over to America. And um, through mutual friends for, for uh, uh development officer in Fiji, I got to train in Atlanta um, for a few weeks before those tour- tournaments. And actually, that's where I bumped into um, Kier. Okay, yeah, Kier, Kier,
0: Kier. <laughs>
2: she was going, yeah, she was going to, I don't remember if she was about to go to college or she was already there, but she was talking to me about Georgia State and uh, talking about the coach at the time, Miha. And that's sort of where how it started, kind of.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice I, I never knew that I was like okay where did she come from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: I uh, like because yeah because it's so far away I sort of kind of made my decision about going to Georgia State in particular because of care and I felt like at least I knew somebody already going into it because I was you know I was so scared and I'm like going to a whole different country big city you know it, it, it would have been overwhelming for me
0: now, how do you think playing at the college level helped prep you for where you are today on a pro tour? <laughs>
2: um, looking back now, I think it's helped me mature a lot more and helped me um, I guess understand my style of game. Um, and just being in the team environment, I you know I really like that. it helped me grow as a person on and off the court. Um, so I think college definitely helped, uh, helped me you know, transition into, onto the professional circuit.
0: Now, for those of you that don't know, Abby is actually the most decorated player in Georgia State history uh, as a two-time American. Oh. <laughs> now, this year actually marks five years since your historical run to the uh, NCAA National Semifinals um so Correct, yeah. yeah how often do you think about that like that run some of the girls you beat you know where they are now how often do you actually like go back and remember right
2: them? <laughs> um yeah um actually some of the girls that i've you know seen and uh from college are also now playing on tour so you know it's sometimes seeing when i'm when i see them it sort of kind of reminds me of, of my uh run during the NCAAs, um, yeah, from time to time, I think about it, or when I see news, I mean, when I see uh, college NCAAs, like, you know, all over social media, it kind of reminds me of that, so yeah.
0: Like, I remember, you know, we would drive, because the national championships, then we're still in Athens, and now they're at the national campus in uh, Orlando. Correct. But uh, I just remember, like, a whole group oh. of us would drive up, to see you play, and we, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect because you were unseated, so it's like okay. But you know, as you kept winning, it's like oh wow, oh. like this is getting serious.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, see, I, listen, I was the same too. Like it was just going day by day, like I again didn't really expect to go that deep into the tournament. Um, so you know, even for me, it was just weird as well. <laughs>
0: So what made you decide to go to the next level after school to pursue your aspirations of as a pro tour?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I always think about this, and majority of my tennis career, you know, um, there's been a lot of people that have believed in my game, um, even when I didn't believe in my own, and I didn't trust in my own game. So, again, I would say it had to do with you know, the people that had been influential in my tennis career, pushing me to try out the professional circuit. I know coming out of college, I would say, yeah, I would go pro, but I actually didn't believe that I wanted to go pro. Um, so when I, after graduating and playing my first pro tournament, it was just, I was just sort of going through the motions. I didn't really have a goal or any sort of real intention going into it. Um, but after, you know, it's been, th- I think it's been three years now that I've been on tour. And I feel like I've sort of kind of found my way and um, I have a bit more purpose um, now on tour.
0: Well, I'd say you've done pretty well for yourself, you know, being that you have six Thank doubles you. titles now. Um, and just last month, winning your first career singles title, which might I say is yeah. no small feat because you're the first player from PNG to get a professional title. Um, so, how is That's that? That's correct. In
2: Singapore. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no. You know, during that week, it was the weather was brutal, like just so hot. It was very unpleasant to play in. So, um, you know, every single match was very, very tough. And after the finals, I really didn't get to enjoy the moment straight away. All I wanted to do was just get off the court and just get in the shower and be in some air conditioned room so because you know the week was just the weather was just not not nice to us mm-hmm. um but you know after settling down that day and just receiving a lot of messages from my family and my friends from just basically all over the world I got to just reflect and enjoy the wind so it's been it's been really nice I got I, I've just been back home to PNG and just people coming up to me like in the streets congratulating me. It's really nice. Yeah.
0: That's what's up. So, Singapore actually rounded out like three overall finals for you in three weeks, didn't it?
2: That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the singles finals and I also – wait, did I make two doubles finals? Sorry, what was the question?
0: I think like you had like three finals in three weeks. I think there's a singles final and also two doubles finals.
2: Yes, that's correct. So I had, um, the week that I had won the singles, I, um, uh, got runner-up for doubles and then my partner and I in Hong Kong won the doubles there.
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
2: uh, The third week, yeah.
0: Handling it. Nice. Now, (laughs) it's June. We're coming upon the second half of the year. So what's next for you going into the second half of the season?
2: Um, well, right now, uh... I've just got one more tournament here in Jakarta and in July, the whole month of July, I'll be representing PNG at the Pacific games in, which is held in Samoa this year. Uh, so basically the Pacific games is sort of kind of like, uh, like the Olympics, but for Pacific Island nations. So it's basically all the sports competing against other countries. Um, so I, I have that next month. And then, uh, Depending on how my ranking is, uh, we'll, uh, we'll sort of kind of determine what I'll do okay. um, August onwards. Yeah. But, you know, my aim was to try and see it to get into qualifying of US Open. But I don't know. I think that the time's a little bit, my time's a little bit limited right now because um, I'll be missing the whole month of July to yeah. play pro tournaments
0: and get rankings yeah gotcha well hey there's always 2020 as well so we'll definitely yeah <laughs> be looking out for you abby thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and good luck in indonesia All right. thank you so much thank you for listening to this week's episode of casual sets please join us next time when we cover another rising star in the tennis world see you at the courts peace